Durbin in the screen's greatest woman's role. Okay. Yeah, right? Durbin in her most dramatic glory. That's probably true. Love was her crime, Dan. Love was her punishment. Okay. Uh, Durbin passionately creating her greatest role as Abigail, who would become Jackie to live in the shadow of a merciless love. Meh. All right. As never before, she's brilliant, she's exciting, she's thrilling, she's enchanting. She's magnificent, Dan. Did you add that part or is that part of it? I did add Dan to it, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> you busted me. <laughs> Hoy Noiros, welcome to the 102 edition of Out of the Podcast. We have uh, episode list Dan checking the numbers, making mm-hmm. sure we're on track. It's easy to remember when we're so close to a hundo still. That's true. And, you know, I won't go into it, but I am starting my list for next year. So we're getting close. Gentlemen, Joey here to say uh, I'll be checking it twice. And uh, better depending on if you're naughty or nice, we'll see what makes it. Yeah. If you've been naughty, Dan, all your favorites have to wait a whole other year. Please no. Some some of them have been waiting since day one. We'll do a whole year of the postman rings twice. (laughs) No. That'll be your punishment, sir. Please no. Uh, It's the holidays, Dan. It's Christmas holiday. Released July 31st, 1944 by Universal Pictures. Always fun to see the classic logo. Mm -hmm. Directed by old friend of the show, Robert Siadmok. His second film noir after Phantom Lady. The much requested Phantom Lady. Uh, By me. (laughs) That's right. Maybe he'll get it next year. Again, naughty or nice. We'll see. I gotta behave. You got some coal coming, sir. Mm. Uh, This was based on the 1939 novel of the same name by English author and playwright W. Somerset Magom, Magom, a novel that the New York Times, Dan, called, quote, surprisingly talky. (laughs) I think it's actually pronounced mom. I don't care. That's the only time I'm saying his name. Fuck that. Uh, Nevertheless, Dan, the the book was a huge hit. It sold 100,000 copies in America by the end of that year. And the novel, though, we need some changes before it made it to the screen. Maybe we'll get into that, but... I might have some stuff on that. Who doesn't love to make changes than old screenwriter Herman Mankiewicz? Yeah, he, he's, he's written a few things in his day. Yeah, you know, he's a real citizen of the film world, right? Yeah. King? <laughs> and he may have been... You know, down a Yelbig Road at one point. There's rumors of such a thing. Uh, before we get into any of this, Dan, mm-hmm. obviously we have to talk about <laughs> the DVD copy that we are both holding. Uh, this thing's on YouTube if you don't want to go through the order, but here's oh. some recommendations of maybe why you should for the laughs, of course. Before we get into everything we have to get into, Dan, the movie stars Deanna Durbin and Gene Kelly. Mm-hmm. My question is, do you think the company that put out this movie even watched it before making this edition? Do you think they ever did? Because if you look in the catalog, and we'll get into the catalog, there's like other Christmas movies, and they're like all the same design. Yes. So I'm going to say no, 
based on the packaging and, yeah. and the I mean, somebody had to write there is there is a description on the back. Um, but the way that it's marketed is marketed as uh, they, they say classic Christmas and they put it in, in the same like realm as like Miracle on 34th Street and all Scrooge, these other like the great yeah, grouper and right. many more. But, they but have, it's not. It's not like any of those movies. Not even a little bit. It's quite a package. I ordered it from Amazon. I was like from a seller who turned out to be these guys, Hollywood Best, from Valley Village, California. And you mm. flip through the catalog and you, you get their vibe. Hey, they got some Laurel and Hardy, some Betty Boop, some Charlie Chaplin. You flip the page, Dan, you get yourself some uh, <laughs> some vibrators, some wands, and massage heads. It, they're uh, some DVDs. Yes, they are all about helping <laughs> you get any pleasures you like, be it cinematic or otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's a. It was a very bizarre thing. I, I ordered it a while back, and I was just so perplexed by it. I, I. It was just fascinating. But I will say, and as I mentioned, the print actually doesn't look half bad. Print's really good. You know, I'm actually kind of charmed by the packaging in a way. I like how undercover the whole thing is. Because, I mean, well, when you think about it, I mean, when you think about Gene Kelly, you think about Deanna Durbin, you look at the, the photo on the front, you're thinking like, oh, this is a musical comedy about Christmas. It's called this Christmas is going to be holiday. a fun time. Exactly. It's a holiday. What? How bad could it be? And like, is this even a public domain movie? Because they're the only ones who put out this movie. Like they maybe they bought the license for super cheap or something. That's but- probably my guess. Because um, you're getting a DVDR, this thing is as minimal as possible. Right. Most of the color is found in the vibrators. <laughs> yeah, anyways, it's out there, but it, it is on YouTube. I didn't see if it was the same quality, but it, it looked to be decent from the thumbnail, at least. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that was something. <laughs> Hollywood Best Presents out of the podcast today. But let's get into this movie, shall we, Dan? I'm more shall than we, ready. Shall yes. we dance, Dan? We shall. Right. So right off the bat, there's like an army graduation, something like that. You know, everyone's off to start their leave because it's Christmas time. And after this, they're all headed overseas to do some sort of army military evil. You know, you're in that in between. There's, I mean, really, after World War II, what wars were there to fight, Dan? I mean, this was, yeah, I mean, this was like, this came out in 44. So it was like the end. Yeah, it's probably filmed. That's true. That's true. All yeah, right. So, yeah, I mean, it was still, you know, going on at the time. They were going to head over and then turn right back around. Like, yeah. <laughs> we, are, we already won the war, guys. Head back. But let's go ahead and meet Lieutenant Charles, or Charlie, to his buddies, Mason. Uh, this is Dean Herons. He's bragging to his buddy about going to San Francisco to finally marry his longtime girlfriend, Mona. He's like, oh, boy, life sure is great. Nothing could go wrong. Oh, hello, Mr. Mailman. What's that? A letter for me? Well, twiddly D, what do we have here? Oh, God, no, she's marrying another man. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. And his friend is just like, oh, well, uh, oops. But he's very cool about it. He's like, why don't you come with me? Come party in the snow. You said you'd never seen it before. You know, it's better you find out now she's going to do something like this than down the line if you ended up marrying her. You know, good advice. But Charlie, he's not convinced. He's going to go to San Fran, a.k.a. America's favorite noir city, and try to stop this thing. We're going to San Francisco, Dan. That's going to be a good time. Can't wait. Another San Francisco noir. So he gets on, <laughs> he gets on a plane. 
but it's pouring big time and they're forced to make an emergency landing. Uh-oh, here we go. It's Christmas Eve in New Orleans and the airline finds rooms for the passengers at a nearby hotel, but they're like, it's probably going to still be shitty weather the next day. So get comfortable, Charlie. He's trying to find a way out of there, but he can't. He goes to the hotel bar for a drink and he meets a, a drunk reporter, a, a lush of a man, Simon Fenimore. Mm-hmm. And he's going to keep popping up little by little in this movie. But here's Charlie's story. And he's like, all right, why don't we go ahead and visit this quote unquote nightclub? Wink, wink. It's a brothel, Dan. We're not stupid. <laughs> They're able to be subtle enough where they still get away with it, which I appreciate. Yeah. And they're going to go talk to the owner, Valerie D. May Road. And she knows, you know, she's she runs the place. She knows a lot of people. Maybe she can help out and find them a ride. The trains are no good, but maybe someone's driving. So she talks to Charlie and old drunk Simon, the drunk reporter. As they're talking, Charlie kind of is like, hey, wait a second. Is that music I hear, Dan? Who's singing? It's Jackie Lamont, a.k.a. Dana Durbin. This is what's it's, it, it, it's one of the weirdest places ever. Um, oh, yeah. And and I'll have, you know, facts about that, about what... give it to us now, Dan. We're here right now. Oh, you want it now? OK. Are you going to so, talk about how they were trying to soften up the image of the place? They were. Um, yeah. Let me let me uh, let me get down to it. OK, here it is. So to circumvent objections from code administrator Joe Breen, for the, you know, the friend of the show. Friend of the show. Enemy really, of the show, yeah. <laughs> who, um, who had already advised against using the novel in the first place. Uh, Sidemock staged the brothel on a set where nothing is what it seemed, including Durbin. On the outside, it looks like a terrace plantation house, perhaps someone's ancestral home, but the familiar is deceiving, um, which is something that pops up a lot in Sidemock's work. Inside, there's like bunch of uh uniform maids and like a christmas tree and there's like yeah it's like a club hotel, and bars. yeah it's, bar. it's very bizarre it's yeah. like everything <laughs> so and they kind of confuse singer. you right yeah. and then you see like people like walking in the background to kind of give you like that nod nod wink wink that it, it's a it's a brothel right um but yeah just such a bizarre almost like dream world <laughs> There's a lot of scenes like that in certain places and throughout this movie. And speaking of bizarre, Jackie Lamont, Deanna Durbin, she doesn't move her arms or anything when she's singing. And it's so awkward. <laughs> I just know you definitely that. can on those things. I'll tell you. I mean, she I, there's more performances and she doesn't after this. But yeah, yeah it, it was it was weird. I don't know. Like she just got a weird note from the director or something. Or, yeah, it could or like be action. Uh, but it's a beautiful song, you know, voice is good. She yeah. knows how to sing and she gets a note from someone through a trap door, Dan, to the backstage, mm-hmm. which was cool. And, uh, she leaves during the end of the song, just like that. All right, band, you keep playing. I'm out of here. Hope yeah. there wasn't more lyrics. That was a good time. Uh, and Valerie's like, I can't do anything to help you, Charlie. You seem like a nice guy. My drunk friend over here vouches for you. And for some reason I trust him. They say when he gets drunk, he really wants to help people and. You're his latest case and you seem nice. So uh, why don't you go ahead and just talk to Jackie for a second? You guys get to know each other and, and I'll be right back. Get a drink. Go buy Jackie a drink. So th- they try to get to know each other. And Jackie asks Charlie to dance, which he accepts. And then instantly after like barely a dance movie, he's like, oh, I, I suck at dancing. Let's stop. <laughs> like, why do we walk out here, dude? Uh, so they go back to getting some drinks and Valerie comes back to say, hey, I can help you out. 
go meet someone at a midnight mass nearby at a cathedral. And Jackie's like, I really would like to go with you. She's very eager to go. And so we're off, Dan. And it's quite a long scene. You basically are. <laughs> They're filling, filling up some time here. It is like, yeah. And this is a quick one. It's like a minute shy of an hour and a half. Yeah. It's like a, watching an entire mess, but it's both boring and beautifully shot. Like, Yeah, I would say that's fair. And it's also effective in showing how Jackie is holding something inside her. Clearly, she starts to cry, you know, as people always do at these creepy things. But she's really crying louder and louder. The whole place is packed. They were forced to stand, standing room only. Charlie's able to finally calm her down a little and get her to leave. They're pretty much like the last people there by the end of it. Yeah. And I also love her Carmen Sandiego look that she's got going. She um, does. It is raining, of course, but still, it's very cool. Sure. You know, it's kind of like a gender flip with her having a story to tell, as we're about to find out. And also, she's the one who's wearing the trench coat. You know, that's, mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting. So they head over to the morning call coffee stand, Dan, an all night diner. They're just stopping there before he takes her home so we can get in our diner trope, of course. And then we're going to need a flashback trope, too. So mm-hmm. here's Jackie's story. First off, her name, it's not Jackie, Dan. It's Abigail Manette. And she's married to Robert Manette. You ever heard of him? I mean, I've heard of Gene Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Here he is, finally. It's like a half hour into the movie, basically. Yep. Very interesting role for him. I mean, both of our are, are stars, different. of course. But I mean, I've never seen Gene Kelly like this personally. No, it's um, it's they're bizarrely cast in this movie, both of them. But it works for me. I mean, it works for the story. You know, it's not like Mm -hmm. this is one where you'd be like, boy, I really would prefer if this person was in it. It's like anyone could be in it. And it's very interesting that these are the two people they have. Because you'd almost want to have just one and then like cast them with like a well-known film noir person. But, you know, it's 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 1944. It's still pretty early. They're still figuring out this crazy genre. Well, and and I feel like at least with with uh durbin she was like actively trying to get these types of roles at this point like she was trying to really transition her career um exactly you know. and, and they wanted her for this role pretty much right off the bat I right mean, they, they say that this was the only movie that she was in that wasn't specifically written for her but they still wanted her based right. off of being like wow what a novel Deanna durbin perfect for this but robert manette gene kelly he's serving a life sentence for murder so that's why he's like, have you heard of him? It, it's a thing that happened here in New Orleans. But he's like, yeah, I'm just passing through. Why would I know that? Yeah. <laughs> so she took that quote unquote nightclub job at the brothel so she could be close to him. And she changed her name so nobody would bother her. And so the first flashback story she has to tell, because there's a few, Dan, mm-hmm. it's pretty much starting us right when he the night after he killed a bookmaker, a.k.a. a bookie. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. We were still calling it that back then. Uh and that guy's name was Teddy Jordan. Don't worry about him. He never shows up and he's dead. Mm-hmm. But they, the couple's been happily married for like six months. Things were going good. But now he's coming home late. He's got blood on his trousers. And she has no clue what's going on. She's totally thrown off by this. But you know who does have a clue what's going on, Dan? Mama Manette. Yeah. <laughs> Cre- creepy Mama Manette. Gail Sondergaard. Great job. She is one of those moms who is like, you know mama's little special boy kind of creepy yeah, relationship yes yeah, she is um and vice versa you know because she's by herself and he's by herself and 
now she's living with this couple or they're living with her rather because it's her place but she knows her son is a murderous scumbag kind of guy and she's happy to cover up for him she's looking out for if there's any mention of the story in the paper and later on she even burns his blood-stained pants which Mm -hmm. abigail catches her doing and uh she asks her about it the next day and mama manette just totally gaslights her so yeah after this point it's time to leave the diner and Charlie says, oh, I can get Abigail a room at, my, at the hotel I'm at. But she's like, you know, I'm a prostitute. You know, they're going to turn me away. But he insists. He's like, I'll get you a room. Don't worry. I'm Charlie. I'm Lieutenant Charlie Mason. Mm-hmm. My name's got sway in this town. And so they go into his room and he tries to offer her the, the bed. But she refuses and has that very awesome line. Look, Lieutenant, in my own little way, I'm just as much a gentleman as you are. Please let me stay here. Mm-hmm. That was fun. But then after that, you totally see, Dan, that the joke is on him because the beds in that room look so uncomfortable. And oh, that, yeah. That couch looks so cozy and perfect. So she knows yeah. what she's doing. Way to go. Uh, <laughs> the next morning, she's awake and she's like, oh, I read your letter. You shouldn't have left it out in, in an envelope tucked away if you didn't want people to read it. I didn't know those were the rules, Dan. So that's going to really open up my life. Yeah. I'm checking learn, the mail. Learn them here. I'm checking the mail. It's not a crime anymore. But Maybe yeah, it wasn't she, back then. That's right. <laughs> Oops. Now we know this movie changed every. I'm sure it's in your fun facts how this movie created the law of sure uh, don't read the mail. Well, no spoilers. Sorry. But yeah, she totally knows about Mona. And she's like, well, that's interesting. Good to know your little wrinkle in this story, even though you barely affect anything in the long run. But you're a fun person to talk to, right? Sure. Sure. <laughs> so now we're getting another flashback. So buckle up. Abigail is telling her she's starting from the beginning. She's telling the story of when she met Robert. And it's at this concert that they ended up seated next to each other at. And this thing is massive. It's got a tracking shot that just goes across the whole theater, mm-hmm. which was shot at the Philharmonic Theater in downtown Los Angeles. They used over a thousand extras. So you totally get how huge this thing is. Yeah, um, it's, it's pretty wild. But it is another scene that goes on forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, you can't be mad at it because it is so wonderfully filmed. It's such an interesting shot. They find a way to keep you riveted by it. And these these two crazy kids, they're both totally loving this thing. They're, they're moved by the music and are instantly in love by the end of it. And so they keep going to concerts officially together on a date. They date some more. They go out to eat at this restaurant. You get another awesome tracking shot with this like place that has multiple floors. It's brilliant. It just you could tell this guy really wanted to show off with the camera, huh? Oh yeah. I mean that's that's what it was. I think about this movie. It's just like, well, we can get these shots, so we're gonna do this. Yeah, it's like a whatever movie, but it's just yeah. so interestingly filmed and and lit and shot, and the acting is cool. Like it's enough to keep you paying attention, you know? Sure. I mean, and the cinematographer did do. Uh, quite a bit of great film noir, including Phantom Lady, Killers, and The Unsuspected. So definitely some some heavy hitters. They stayed working together. And yes. also The Unsuspected. So yeah. And then there's that other great scene with them by the water, which is cool, which is where the cover of this DVD comes from, you find out. Mm-hmm. And Robert's just kind of saying, hey, I'm not good at <laughs> keeping employment and I love gambling. But, you know, if, mm-hmm. hey, if you marry me, I think I could give all that up. So no pressure. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, sure. I'm totally devoted to you. And so now, naturally, you got to go meet the mother. Give me some Mama Manette. 
And we find out a little bit about the Manettes. They were an old New Orleans family who uh, they have a huge home in the fancy garden district. And now uh, the mom, she's like widowed and it's just her and Robert living out of this place. Mm -hmm. And so when she comes in to be introduced to them, she sends Robert out of the room so they can talk. She's like, just give me like 10 minutes. It's nice to get a, a timer on how uncomfortable you need to be around a new person. That was very kind of her. <laughs> I also liked when uh, Gene Kelly was like, If uh, mother gets out the family album, Abigail, please don't let it show you that picture of me as a naked baby on a bear rug. The charming guy. <laughs> um, but she's like, she just wanted to make sure, Mama Manette, that Abigail was the right sort of girl for her son. Because, hey, heads up, he's a fucking psycho. But I mm. think with our powers combined, Dan, we could probably calm him down with love, bring him on the straight and narrow. Yeah, she instantly is like, I approve you, basically. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> the first woman who ever came back to the house, right. let's be honest. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> wink, wink, I approve. You needed it. And so they get married shortly after that. And for a few months, things are going great. But then Robert starts staying out late. And she's starting to worry that he's getting back in with the gambling crowd. She meets the bookie who turns out to be, or his bookie, that turns out to be that reporter, the drunk reporter from the beginning. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Simon Fenimore. And then I also love the scene after that where it's the three of them in the house just chilling. The mom is knitting and Gene Kelly is at the piano with Abigail singing. Mm -hmm. It just like really showed just that weird, creepy relationship. Could be a good episode photo. We'll see what Dan's got for us. I have some ideas. Uh, What we haven't gotten to yet. There we go. But I love all the songs in the movie. You know, it's always fun to get some music in these things. But did she sing them, though? Like, actually, or was it? I didn't, I didn't... see any news about it being dubbed and considering who she is and like her right. star that's... power at that time. I, I highly doubt it was. Yeah, that's why I, why I asked. I, yeah, I didn't see anything come up about it. Um... And they love to point out when it's dubbed, Dan. So I'm going to say I feel good about saying that she did it. She sang it. Let me see if I can find it. Um. So yeah, so spring, spring will be a little a little late this year, sung by Deanna Durbin and the first always song. yeah. Second song, yeah. Um so yeah. Yeah. Beautiful voice. Looks like she did, yeah. Well done. They got her to do her strengths, also have a little film noir yarn going on. Yeah. But yeah, old Gene Kelly starts snapping at her when she's trying to find out what's going on. And then one day he's out late, he's got blood on the suit. That his uh, mother tried to wash out. You remember this story, the other flashback. But Mm -hmm. we're getting a little more into what happened afterwards. So Abigail sees her burning his suit, the pants and everything. And she, you know, is just like, yeah, no, they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Mama Manette, she has the cash, which she sews into the hem of the curtains in the bedroom to hide out. And then uh, she's like, cool. She's not home one day. It's just Abigail at the house. And the cops come in with a search warrant. And, you, and Mama Manette comes home and you're like, oh, shit. And the cops are even like, hey, check those curtains. Those old women really like to hide shit in there. And we're all like, oh, busted. But <laughs> now nah, they don't find anything because it turns out Abigail had seen her taking the money, putting the money in there. She removed it and she burned it. And uh, Mama Manette's not too happy about that. That wasn't cool. I mean, what was it yeah, all for? Know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now. Robert gets arrested. He gets charged with the murder of the bookie and robbery. There's the whole courtroom scene where he's getting sentenced as guilty. And Mama Manette is like, I fucking blame you. She slaps her. 
uh, it's very sl- slow, like, hey, a slap's about to happen, slap, but, you know. Slap's a slap. He's old, you know, you do what you got to do. As long as you're slapping, then you go know rapping. I don't know. But <laughs> she's like, yeah, I blame you. How dare you? You were supposed to make him stop doing this stuff. So you're just as guilty in my eyes. Screw you. Now he went gambling. Everything fell apart. Now we're back in the present. Charlie asked the clear question that should be asked. Hey, why didn't you leave your husband? That guy seems pretty shitty, right? right. And she's like, no, no, no. When I love someone, I love him forever. This is my man. No matter what, he can murder, gamble, anything he wants. I'm all in. And so that's why, you know, like we said, she lives in New Orleans now, changed her name, staying close, trying to keep employed, working as a prostitute. We also find out that Mama Manette, she's like working as a housekeeper for like a family. In New York. Yeah, in New York. They lost everything. Charlie gets a call saying, hey, the flights are going to resume tonight. All is well. So she's like, well, cool. You get to go see Mona now in San Francisco. And he's like, "Uh, after hearing the story, I don't know how I feel about anything. Like you might be changing my mind here. And he's like, but why don't you go ahead and stay? You know, apparently she missed the last bus. So he's like, yeah, just go ahead and stay. But she walks out of there. She's like, I'll be fine. Now he's officially decided, I'm not going to San Francisco. I'm just going to go ahead and head back to base where things are quiet. And I've learned a lesson. So after Abigail leaves, the the, uh, drunk bookie slash reporter Simon calls looking for her. And Charlie's like, oh, she's on her way back to the nightclub slash brothel. And then we find out that Robert Manette had broken out of jail. And he's hiding there with Simon. He's all scruffed up, too. Mm Mm-hmm evil gene kelly so they're like simon's like hey minute come on i'll I'll figure this out why don't you go ahead and head out but he's like no 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 you're coming with me we gotta wait till it gets dark out so i could sneak around i gotta check up on my wife i've heard some things charlie finds out about the jailbreak from the newspaper and he's like oh geez i gotta go warn abigail obviously she's in trouble so he goes back to the brothel slash nightclub and he talks with valerie and they have a, a, a very nice exchange. I like that where she's like officially won over by him. And she also mm-hmm. really cares for Abigail. And is like, you know, look out for her. Mm-hmm. And she's also like, I already know that Minette is out. There's cops everywhere. Like they got this place staked out. They're going to get them. And so Abigail slash Jackie, you know, I don't know who she is officially when she does this next song, but she sings another song. She leans against a beam, Dan, which was a good move. Mm-hmm. It's got something to do. And uh, Manette and Simon are able to sneak in through a window in Abigail's dressing room. And when she goes back there, she is so psyched. She's like, oh, my God, I love you so much. You're out of prison. We we can be on the run together. Like, let's get out of this city. This is going to be great. But he is just totally like, oh, you've been a prostitute and you've been cheating on me. Like, what the hell? You've cheated on me with this uh, Charlie guy and everything. And she's like, I was just working here because I felt guilty about, you know, how I feel about you and letting you become a murderer. So yeah, it was like self exile, basically, like she exiled herself, change her name, you know, just completely, you know, change her life. Totally masochistic against herself, but he doesn't care. Charlie busts into the room to save the day. The cops, they're snooping around. They notice some footprints leading to a half open window. So they come in. We got some shots firing back and forth, Dan. And Manette dies. Abigail's holding him. And she's like, I I still love you, bro. This didn't change anything. And he's like, you got to let go of me. I'm about to die. You can't love a a dead man. So why love a corpse? 
uh, go ahead and be free. Live a better life. You got this, girl. And even Charlie comes up. In yeah. the movie is is when they're when the two of them are together in that shadow is like the half light and half shadow yeah. against the the uh, the wall. Uh, yeah, that was like my favorite shot of the whole movie. And Charlie comes back to reiterate the moral of the movie, and uh, she cries a single tear, and the night sky opens up. The end, Dan. It was a very weird ending, like with the whole sky thing. I was like, wow, uh, okay. I uh, what do you I, I didn't like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you could tell by my relative silence throughout this movie, uh, but uh, yeah, I did not like this one. Yeah, it was, uh, I wasn't expecting to like it, but I was curious about it and it like entertained me enough, but uh, you know, I wouldn't recommend it in any way. Uh, it, it wasn't, it wasn't like taught enough and not, not every movie has to be taught, but like it, it felt like it was, too, it was spread too thin. Like it, it, it felt like it was just like so stretched out and drawn out. That if you like, if they had like compressed it and condensed, like everything that you just described, like for the movie, like we normally do, in theory sounds awesome and it sounds like film noir. But <laughs> That's how we trick you, them, Dan. Right. But when you watch it, it just feels so drawn out and like does not. Well, and they're like, like you're getting like the opera and the uh, the mass so close to each other and they're right. just like so drawn out. It's a little rough, but the way it's filmed and, you know, the way it's acted is all quite impressive like it's an interesting time yeah. in everyone's career but it's um you know it's like a very passable shitty movie i will say i really do like the theatrical poster for this i will say that yeah it's a shame it has is nowhere near the packaging or anything like that right because the original like say if like you know if this was like a you know legit universal blu-ray or like a warner archive type of deal where it was just showing you the cover like as as that that poster, yeah, it'd be way cooler. Uh, and I love how Christmas is like not in the movie. Like you basically just see a Christmas tree, and you know they tell you that it's Christmas. It's they right, tell you it's taking place, but that's it. You know, like it's no Christmas holiday, and this right. it's not even like they changed the name of the book for this. It's like no, 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 the whole time. Right, they really liked it. Yeah, I'd like give it holiday five point seven out of ten. Stiff musical numbers. You know, it's yeah. uh, from a technical standpoint, cool. You know, I love the director and I, I was very curious to see him where he was at at this point. But uh, yeah, I mean, let's be realistic. Definitely bottom five least favorite movies we've covered so far. Okay, so what does that equal in a rating, Dan? I'd probably go less than you. I, I would probably go maybe like a 5.1. Okay, I mean, if, yeah. If that, like five, maybe like just like I, I just felt very bored by this movie. And like, I don't get bored very easily. I'll be honest. I don't really get that bored, but I was pretty bored by this movie. I don't think that's true. You've been bored plenty of times on this podcast. Have I? Yeah. It could have been your impression. Well, you're not selling it right now. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> you ready for some facts? I got one more question for you, Dan. Okay, I'm ready. Do you think Charlie had any feelings for Abigail beyond just general care for a human being? No, I don't think so. Okay, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, they, they don't really play that angle that much enough. I, I think Maybe that would have helped, I, you know? Yeah, I think he felt you get that there was a closeness after her telling her her story, but it didn't feel romantic to me. It felt just like I care for this person because I, I realize now what she's been through and what she's put herself through. And she's just he's kind of like, all right, I just want to help her out. She's like a friend now. And like he's he's been down on the dumps and like, you know, kind of realizing like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really lousy situation as well. Uh, maybe worse off than him. Yeah, he's like, hey, um, it could be worse. I could be in this woman's situation. So you right. know what? Screw you, Mona. Yeah. All right. 
let's get fun. Okay. Um, so yeah, you, you had mentioned earlier about the, uh, it was a bestseller in 1939. Yep. Um, at the time, Walter Wanger, who was a uh, sort of friend of the show, um, wanted to turn it into a film that year, but the Hays Code actually rejected his proposal as they felt that the novel story, which is actually about an Englishman meeting a beautiful Russian prostitute, was too sordid. Could have been good. Yep. Little uh, trade talk here. Um, Universal had loaned true friend of the show, Teron Bay, to MGM in exchange for Gene Kelly, who played her husband. Kelly was signed in October 1943. For so what I, movie, Dan? What? That he, that he was loaned to them for? for? Teron Universal? Bay, yeah. Ooh, you're tricking me. I didn't write that one down. Is 1944's film Demons, or Dragon Seed, excuse me. Hmm. Yeah. There's a couple of uh, Teron Bay film noir that I haven't seen that I, I have on my list that maybe we'll sneak in at some point. Um, we'll I, did, I, did, I did like him. So yeah, I, I have some some stuff up my sleeve, but I did not know that 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 title. Um, what else you got? I have, let's see. Screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz changed the setting from a Paris brothel to a nightclub in New Orleans. And the main character was changed from a prostitute to a more ambiguous nightclub singer and hostess uh, when he was adapting it to get through the, the Hayes Code. It seems like that they wanted, yeah. Mm -hmm. He was actually also fired while writing the screenplay when Universal executives saw him drunk on the studio lot. <laughs> uh, a week later, the writer walked into Jack Felix Jackson's office, who's the producer, and said, Felix, don't you think Herman Mankiewicz drunk is still better than Dwight Taylor sober? Uh, who is a, Dwight Taylor is a, another screenwriter. Based on that, apparently Jackson rehired him and Mankiewicz in the end actually considered it one of his uh, uh, 1940 successes he was actually most proud of. Oh. Um, so after all of that, he was actually pretty proud of that. Apparently, uh, Deanna Durbin had numerous fights with the director, uh, Robert Seidmach, over her interpretation of their character. So a little bit of some back and forth with them. He uh, said that, quote, she wanted to play a new part, but flinched from looking like a tramp. She always wanted yeah. to look like nice, wholesome Deanna Durbin pretending to be a tramp, end quote. Yes. There was actually a uh, Lux radio theater broadcast. Uh, it was a 60-minute radio. I love adaptation. those. It's been a while since we've, we've had one of those. I know. It's um, been all suspense. Right. And, uh, and get ready for this. Uh, it's a star-studded uh, affair, too. Of course um, it is. The adaptation was, uh, was uh, broadcast on September 17th, 1945. Uh, with a day Loretta. that will live in infamy, Dan. Yes, a day. Yes, with this radio theater broadcast. With Loretta Young as Jackie slash Abigail, William Holden as Lieutenant Mason, oh. and David Bruce as Robert Manette. So very... I like that, but you would need to really play up Lieutenant Mason more. Like, you got to right. make it worth William Holden's while, yeah. Exactly. So I'd be curious to hear, I mean, that here's, here's a prime opportunity for somebody to Universal issue this and have a bonus feature with the radio broadcast. That would be really cool. He would have been a good Manette, too, I think. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. Or, or like... a good Jackie slash Abigail. You know, William Holden's just that good. Sure. He's a very versatile actor. That's right. By July 1944, the film had grossed more than $2 million at the, the U.S. box office, making it the highest grossing film of Durbin's career at that point. Wow. Uh, it was also Universal's most successful film of the year, overtaking Arabian Nights, which made $1.7 million. Uh, Universal said the average gross of a Durbin film was about $1,250,000. So despite all that, it was really highly grossing at the time, which is very interesting to think about uh i wonder i wonder again like in the way that we're kind of like i wouldn't say we're duped but the the way it's it's misleading about you know the the stars and then the title i wonder if that had any impact on people going to the theater saying oh i don't it, know because like 
the uh the trailer and the poster very much seem to be noirish you know like but mm-hmm. definitely by i mean but also we know that people are dumb so they probably did just see who was in it and we're like oh wow cool and it's a christmas movie yeah and uh the last no, even poster- though this was released in july so it was a christmas in july movie too mm-hmm. we didn't really point that out but yeah that's true yeah <laughs> what else you uh- got? And the, yeah, the last thing I had was uh, actually a quote from Sidemock, another quote. It said, oddly enough, the movie did very well. Um, I suppose everyone was so interested to see what Deanna Durbin would be like in a dramatic role. However, she never tried again, which she ended up doing. I mean, she was ended up, she was on Lady on a Train, uh, exactly. which, which I do want to see. I am interested in seeing that, which I, I apparently it was actually just put out on Blu-ray for the first time oh, in, one of, one of, in one of the uh, Kino uh, film noir box sets, uh, oh, nice. which I have him on my list to get. I'd be interested to see how that goes, but... That's pretty much what I had. Yeah, and also the score was nominated for an Academy Award, but it sure was. Yes, it, it did was. not. It did not win out. And yeah, I was also surprised to see that a short clip of the film Dan appears in a music video from Zed and Katy Perry. I don't know who Zed is, but I do know Katy Perry. That's weird. That's that, very that weird. must have been so weird. Uh, and I got curious about Deanna Durbin because I don't know much about her. Mm-hmm. You know, don't penalize us for it. So I, I got a couple things about her. She was big on musicals, that's for sure. Absolutely. So yeah, although the film received mixed reviews, she later called it, quote, her only really good film. So she felt very mm-hmm. highly about it. Uh, she the, did. The movie was produced by Felix Jackson, who she would go on to marry the next year in August of 1945. Mm-hmm. And they would both work on, like Dan was saying, 1945's Lady on a Train, another film noir. So yeah, they were definitely lying about <laughs> no more dramatic roles. Yeah. Um, and they would also produce a daughter as well in 1946. But by January of 48, their lawyer announced that the couple had come to, quote, a friendly parting of the ways. Uh, she would file for divorce by the end of 1949. And in the end, it turned out that they only lived together for 19 months. So they married and then he left her to go live in New York pretty quickly after. Mm-hmm. In 1946, she was the second highest paid woman in the United States, just behind Betty Davis. And wow, her fan her fan club ranked as the world's largest during her active years. And yeah, she as much as she loved roles like this, it was pretty clear that people just wanted her in musicals. You know, they're like, hey, we saw those film noirs. We made them successful, but that's not why we went. We want to see some music, baby. More songs. Three was not enough. <laughs> so she was pretty bummed out only being stuck in these roles. So she retired pretty early on and then moved to Paris. Mm-hmm. And um Someone tried to dissuade her from doing so, and she told them, quote, I can't run around being Little Miss Fix-It who bursts into song, the highest paid star with the poorest material, end quote. And here's some fun facts as well. Anne Frank was a fan of her, and she had two photos of her pasted on the wall in the family's hideout, which are still there today. Wow. Winston Churchill was also a fan of Durbin and screened her films whenever there was time to celebrate wartime occasions. And then, uh, Dan, who's your boy who uh, did The Music Room? How do you pronounce his name? The Music Room? Oh, yeah. Sanjay Ray? Yeah. In his acceptance speech for an honorary Oscar Lifetime Achievement in 1992, he mentioned Deanna Durbin as the only one of three cinema personalities he recalled writing to when he was younger who had acknowledged his fan letter with a reply. Wow. The other two were Ginger Rogers and Billy Wilder. Wow. That's awesome. That's all I got, but I thought you'd like that last one. Yes, Ajit Ray is is an incredible director. He was an incredible director. He still is. 
in the stars, Dan, that opened up at the end that's of this true. movie. But that's going to do it for this one. Join us next week. We're going to time travel to 1947. Put on your lipstick, Dan, because we're getting a kiss of death. Mm. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North and South American, all the ships at sea. Let's go to press. This is Walter Winchell broadcasting from Hollywood. I just came from a projection room at 20th Century Fox Studios where I saw a picture of my town, New York, and my time now. Ladies and gentlemen, the title of this moving picture is Kiss of Death. In underworld lingo, kiss of death can be many things, none of them good. A pat on the shoulder from a pal that turns into a bullet in the back, or a kiss from a woman's warm lips that sends the victim to the morgue. Like Boomerang and the house on 92nd Street, this one has authenticity stamped all over it. It is red meat. It is factual. It's a close-up of the tenderloin in action. Its tempo is terrific. And its story is that of a squealer. In underworld code, a squealer is marked for death. One man sneered at the code, squealed, and didn't die. That's what makes Kiss of Death such a gripping and exciting moving picture. Kids like to have fun. We'll all have some fun together. You and me and your wife and your kids. Touch my family and you'll hear singing like you never heard before. Go on, beat it. Nick, he's a three-time loser now. All we've got to do is catch him with a gun on him and we can send him up for life. And suppose he don't make a mistake. He didn't the last time. You made the mistake. Sooner or later, he'll trip himself up. They all do. You've got to trust me. I'm through trusting you, the police, or anybody but me. There's only one way to get you, though. And that's my way. If you like action as I do with entertainment, you will find it here. This one was written with a machine gun. Merry Christmas indeed. Yeah. And we'll see why when we get to it next week. I'm looking forward to it. I've never seen this one, so I'm looking forward to it. We're given kisses or are we given misses? Find out next week. Uh, I will say I do love I do love Victor Mature, so That's right. Th- th- that always has me intrigued. There's enough it's an, uh, totally enough to get me intrigued, but you know what? I felt the same way about this movie in many ways and here we are. So, we'll find out. Uh, hey, you guys love social media. The only one left really at this point is Instagram out of the podcast. But, you know, there's a uh, Twitter uh, <laughs> still around. Yeah. Now. Why? Why are you guys still there? Leave it. Let's let's leave together. Let's start an exodus. <laughs> uh, but we're there out of the cast at Twitter and um, the real out of the podcast at Gmail. We're still there. Dan, I've been trying to clear out my personal email, like delete everything. Mm-hmm. What an undertaking. But. I'm determined. I'm determined. I'm going to be Good done by the that. end of the year. I'm 65 or 62% full right now. Wow. Okay. And I went down from 93. Jeez. Yeah. Nice work. Thank you. It weirdly feels like an accomplishment, even though it is my numbing stuff. If only we got that many in our inbox for the I was going to make the same segue, sir. And maybe it's that great kind of mind. mindset that people don't want to talk to. We're too great for them. They feel intimidated. Oops. Don't feel that way, folks. That's right. 
tell us that you don't feel that way on a review or a rating. We'll just feel it from the amount of stars that you give us that that's how you feel. Rate, review, subscribe, iTunes, Apple, Spotify, Google. Send us a mail to see if, give us ideas for what you want for merch for next year, for year three. What type of merch you want? You want shirts? You want mugs? Nobody, nobody wants shirts. That's what I've learned from society. Mugs might be cool or like. I want shirts. Yeah, but. We'll, we'll, we'll print shirts for us then. Exactly. That's fine. Magnets. Ugh, magnets. I got screwed by the magnets, Dan. You know. What about, but, what about pencils or pens? Pen, well, of course, we would have to have it be Sylvester Stallone quality, the pen. Right. We'd have to seek out like the, the right, you know, the right company for that. He's the Tulsa King, Dan. He is now, yeah. Which I haven't watched yet. No, I can't see that happening anytime soon. I'm Probably not. I'm rooting for Tulsa King, but no thank you. Yeah. That's all. Uh, get that pen money, though. We understand. Um, Yeah, pens. I don't know. Maybe pint glasses, mugs. Like mugs are a good idea. People like to drink, Dan. You got to know this. Yeah. And also just a pint glass is just good for a little lemonade like I have. There you go. You drink drinks, right? I have been fruit known to do that can, from time to time. Get a little fruit punch in there or a little soda Apple pop juice. with pizza. Yeah. I do do that. That's true. The world is your oyster. Or as I'm watching, uh, I'm watching Seinfeld right now and there's the, ep- I just watched the episode where they're going to get the babka and uh, it, George reminds me of me because he, he only wants Pepsi. He wants to bring Pepsi to a, to a party and they keep telling him that you can't bring Pepsi to an apartment for a party because yeah. for it's a dinner party. Um, so why, what do you mean? I can't bring ring, ring dings and, and Pepsi, <laughs> um, which is something I probably would do. So, yeah, you, you know, things are good when you're comparing yourself to Costanza. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, that's the note to end it on. Here's the crime, Dan. Here's a crime in the holidays. That's right. Especially Christmas crime. Like we Christmas just, com- crime. we just committed on you today. Reading.